Let's uh, get into John 21. We're going to finish this up. John 21, go to your table of contents. That's in the front of your Bible. That's where all the books are listed. And uh, might as well use them all. And uh, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, my Bible, 1008. Go to the 21st chapter where we've been for a while. Maybe your Bible automatically opens to that chapter. <laughs> I was kidding about it the other day. I thought, man, we've been in that chapter for a while. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in here. <clears throat> And I introduced the idea last week as we kind of have this topic here of going back to go forward. Because in this 21st chapter, as I've said to you before, and I, if you want to go listen to some of the recordings, we post all of our class recordings on the website. They're always there if you want to go listen to them. Well, that one of the things that is happening here is all of this uh, reconstituting, if you will, the call of the disciples to follow Jesus. You know, they're fishing all night, and then they don't catch anything, and then Jesus says, throw your, uh, uh, throw your uh, uh, net over here, and lots of fish, and, and then uh, he makes the statement, follow me. And so there's all kinds of things here, like a, a reset, a, a, a real resetting for these guys because of the failure and the difficulty that they've experienced. Now, you may not be able to read this, but this is a screenshot from my phone. I, I said last week, you know, have you ever had to reset your phone or your tablet? Or so that's a lot of fun, isn't it? You know, a lot of fun. Why? Because there's been a virus or there's been a malware or something got into your system and now you've got to reset it. These guys have had some failure and difficulty and trouble. And I think Jesus is having to reset them. He, he's, he's wanting to get them right back to where they were or enable them to think, okay, it's not over. We failed, obviously, uh, but we can go on. And so this idea of reset. And so here's what I want you to think about it, about going back to go forward with a life reset, with a life reset. And last week uh, we discussed uh, some of this, and I don't think I have this on your outline. I, I think I, I, I'm almost certain I didn't. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's fun to hide your own Easter eggs now, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you, when I can remember a name now, I just dance around in the house and, ooh, um, yeah. But Jesus is resetting, we talked last week, their vocation. And I made a distinction, and we're not going to go with this, but the distinction between your vocation and your avocation. Your avocation may be how you make your living, but our vocation as followers of Jesus is to fish and feed. This, this, this language here in John, if you'll notice, is Jesus said, feed my sheep, tend my lamb. Before, he'd said what? Go make you fishers of men. This imagery now comes in to say, I want you to feed my sheep, tend my And I'm just going to suggest that our vocation is to fish and feed. Fish and feed. We need to be involved in bringing people to Christ or participating or helping other people that do. And then when they do, we need to help feed them and help them grow. I said, it's one thing to be born again. It's another thing to grow up, <laughs> right? Right? Really? I mean, really? I mean, there are a lot of people that have been born again and they've been in protracted infancy for 35 years, right? They're still a baby. So, so Jesus, here's, your, your vocation is to fish and feed. Your avocation may be to be an engineer or to work at a grocery store or to teach at a Christian university or, or you know, work for the city, whatever. That's one thing. The second thing we said the reset was the reset on their purpose. The reset, the really, the, the, the reset on this purpose was to glorify God and to follow Jesus. He, he makes that statement. He said, follow me. Follow me. And now I want to look at this idea of reset, reset focus in John 20 to 25. I'm going to read now. Here we go. This is where we ended last week. Peter turning, now Jesus had this conversation. Do you love me? You know, He's telling him what's going to happen here with his life. You know, in the past, you kind of directed your own life. And in the future, somebody's going to bind you and take you where you want to go. And they're going to actually take you where you don't want to go. And that's pretty strong language from Jesus to say, hey, your job is to glorify me and to follow me. That's what he says. You're going to follow me and you're going to glorify me. Now notice here, verse 20, Peter turning around. Now get the picture. It must be that he and Jesus are walking and talking. Or you'd think, or maybe off to the side by themselves. Or Jesus is having this conversation with Peter at this fireside by the charcoal fire, all that stuff you can go listen to because it's all kind of interesting in the context. Peter turns around and he said, or he saw the disciple whom Jesus 
loved. Might, might want to underline that. We're going to come back to that. The disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had also leaned back on the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is it betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, what about him? Now, again, the context here, this idea of, of resetting our focus. Peter has heard these pretty tough words about himself. And he goes, well, what about him? Look at that. And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? See, this, this, is, this is not the hallmark Jesus. <laughs> this, this isn't the one that pats you on the head and sends you along your way. He looks at Peter right and says, what's that to you? What does he say then? Look there. You follow me. Therefore, there was a saying that went among the disciples that that disciple would not die. Jesus did not say that to him, that he would not die. Only if I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. And so I want to look at this on this kind of reset. Uh, first of all, I, I, I want to say, or this, this, this refocusing. Um, you know, my doctor, uh, my eye doctor, I, I went to, to see him a few, some time ago. And uh, I uh, told him, I said, Dr. Harrison, um, um, there's a t- there are times in my eyes when I, it just gets real blurry. And, uh, you know, I wear corrective lenses and I have the trifocal. So when I first started, you know, wearing them, when I stepped off the curb, I went. Because, I mean, I couldn't tell which one of those I was in. It's like, you know. And so I've got corrective lenses and they're supposed to make everything not blurry, you know. I'm, bottom is, you know, close and like that. And I said, you know, what, what is that? You know, is there something wrong with my prescription? He goes, no. He said, Cliff, I said, he said, I think I need to talk to you about this because he said, uh, you have what we call um, dry eye. Now, I didn't know that because there are several reasons why you lose your focus when you're, when you're looking at something. Uh, and I have a, a good friend who's in our Bible study on Friday mornings. Is the uh, an, uh, an ophthalmologist, and uh, he can spell it. I can't. Um, but blurred vision, and I thought, well, you know what? I know a little bit about this, and you know, you can have blurred vision. You you can't focus because of presbyopia. And I could never have that because I've never been a Presbyterian ever. So, <laughs> some of y'all might have that. Some of y'all Presbyterians. But presbyopia, myopia, hyperopia astigmatism. The last one's what I have is called dry eye. My eyes don't create enough tears. I think maybe I create so many tears in other people that (laughs) something's happened. Uh, And Dr. Harrison said to me, he said, you you may be, we're going to give you some drops and stuff like that. And of course, I'm the guy, I'm not kidding you. I, I thought, oh man, I'll never be able to do that because when, when I have to put visine in my eyes, sometimes it hurts. I have to lay on the bed and call Becky. (laughs) And she says, stop, stop, stop. I said, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know. Uh, but I have to blink my eyes and do that to, to clear them up. You ever, anybody have that? Yeah, no big, not, not a big revelation here. This idea of focus is something that I've been interested in because of my own eyesight. And, and, and this idea of focus with Peter. Look here, if you will, when it says reset our focus, about others. It's, uh, it is fascinating to me, again, that Jesus has made this statement to Peter about what's going to happen to him. And I, I don't want to over-psychologize this, but as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about this because Jesus said two times, what's that to you? Two times, right? What's that to you? I, I, it was interesting that sometimes I think as Christians, our followers of Jesus that we have this immaturity or need that whatever we go through, everybody else has got to go through. Anybody ever had that temptation and problem? You know, that, that, that we think because this is what we've had or we've experienced, well, everybody else has to too. And, and this kind of uh, uh, coercive conformity 
that sometimes gets in the lives of people. When Peter stops, he turns around. I, you know, preachers are notorious for making all kinds of psychological jumps here, but you know, one of the things is Jesus quits looking, or Peter quits looking at Jesus and starts looking at other people. You ever done that? Doesn't work well. <laughs> if your life in Christ of being a follower, if somehow you can't keep your eyes on Jesus and you got to keep looking at everybody else, there are going to be problems there. Because Jesus basically says to him, not, not basically, he said, what's that to you, Peter? You know, I, I know in my own life, I've watched this. I'm, I'm kind of an intense person and I, you know, uh, my dad bought me, I told you the, the refrigerator magnet when I was in seminary that says everybody's entitled to my opinion. I didn't think that was funny. I thought that was a good statement. <laughs> and generally when I think something or I think it's great, I don't understand why you don't think it is. And I have this tendency to try to control people, to try to say, you know what, I got to go through this. So should you. I've talked to people before. I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a difficult time. Why don't other people have to go through that, God? You know, maybe Jesus would say to me and you, what's that to you? What's that to you? I, I, I'm just digging around this week and I'm, I'm thinking about this conformity, how, how we make people conform and how we make people experience what we experience and how we make people have to go through what we go through instead of understanding. Remember, Jesus said earlier in this passage, feed my sheep. They're not yours. They're mine. Do you, do you ever struggle with this? Of thinking that somehow you need or I need to control how other people act or what their experience is. I, you know, I don't, they don't belong to me. God, God said to me one time, he said, where's your church? I said, I don't have one. It's God's church. I just work there. And then he looked at me. That's why I'm not in the ministry anymore. <laughs> Preachers don't have much sense of humor. Now, Marty does and a few others. But You know, you know this idea of, of prompting Peter saying, look, if I've got to go through this, what about him? Are you going through something now that you might have to face it that you've been upset with Jesus because you're saying, well, how come they don't have to go through this? Anybody but me? <laughs> Why? It, and this is where the lordship of Jesus Christ comes in to say, they're my sheep. They're my people, not yours, Cliff. I, I, I've got several. I, I can't even think of one. I, I want to be careful here, but I mean, I can't think of just one. I think of 10. That in my life in ministry, I've gotten involved in something, you know, some project or something, some, some ministry. And, you know, it sounds like a good idea. And I'll get involved and then others won't. You know, they don't, they don't have the great insight that I have or the deep spiritual abiding presence, you know. I know that. And, and I've had more than once, and maybe you've had this thing, same thing. I get involved in something, I'm participating in something, I'm serving, and I look around, there's nobody but me. What's the natural tendency? Quit. Get out. No, nobody else. And I've had the Lord on more than one occasion say to me, if this is the thing I've called you to do, I don't care if anybody shows up. If I've called you to do this, this is what you're supposed to do. Don't quit worrying about these other people. You with me? You ever had that? I've quit some things before. Because, well, nobody else wants to do this. Nobody else is getting involved. I'm out here sweating or working or doing whatever. Nobody else is here. Okay, Cliff, did you do it because I told you to? Did you do it because I told you to? Or are you doing it because you thought it would be a good thing to do or somebody else? I'm just, I'm just, I just, as I worked on this this week, I just, it just kept working. I don't know what to make of it completely. And, and I don't want to over-psychologize it. But Peter appears to want to control or dictate or mandate 
that if something's going to happen to him, then everybody else has got to have it. And I know this is a difficult thing because I know that I've ministered to people and served with people before that they would get sick or something would happen to them. And they would say, why did it happen to me? Why doesn't this happen to other people? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. In the midst of that, and it's okay to ask it, I guess. I don't think it's okay for us to be like Peter to say, now, wait a minute, you got to do something with him over here. Because Jesus said, hey, Peter, it's none of your business. You follow me. Now, I'm not always good at this, but, but sometimes I will say to people this. You know, they may ask an opinion of mine, and I have a couple thousand. <laughs> but I remember Thomas Akempis in his book, uh, The Imitation of Christ. If you've not read that book, you ought to read it sometime. And Akempis left me with this idea. He didn't use the exact words, but left me with this idea that in many ways, my full-time job is taking care of me <laughs> and not trying to direct and guide and correct everybody else. I have a full-time job. That's me. For me. Because what did Jesus say to Peter? What if I want him to stay until I come again? What did he say to him? There in verse 22. What's that to you? And. Huh? You follow me. Here's your job, Peter. Here's your job, Cliff. Quit trying to be the director of the universe. Quit trying to decide how everybody else has got to live. Quit trying to evaluate how everybody else is doing. You follow me. I'll tell you a real quick story. When I was a pastor uh, years ago, man, it's been a long time now. Uh, I told the church when I went there that I wasn't smart enough to preach two sermons on Sunday. And after about two months, they believed me. <laughs> I just said, I'm not going to do it. I really, I said, you know, one is I'm really not that smart to put together two really good sermons and then a Wednesday night class. And you haven't done anything about Sunday morning anyway, so why are we doing this? I told you why I'm not a pastor anymore. <laughs> I told you, you're not, you didn't do anything about Sunday morning yet, did you? And I remember uh, I would occasionally just kind of talk to everybody on Sunday night. It was, uh, when I didn't have enough time to study, I have, a, I have a sermon I can pull out always called Bible verses that have meant a lot to me. <laughs> it's a great sermon. <laughs> I read a verse and say, man, that verse has meant a lot to me. And read another verse. <laughs> oh, this verse is really, anyway. So we're kind of doing some of that. And, and uh, uh, I, I just kind of opened up for some discussion. And a couple of people that weren't happy, I mean, they wanted me, I guess they thought I wasn't earning my check. And uh, so we're talking and I'm just kind of standing up there and one of the people said, well, I just got to tell you, I'm not being fed. I thought, okay, here we go. And I'm not emotionally reactive. I really, you know, when I get angry, I get quiet, which is real scary. And then when I, when I really get angry, I get real logical. <laughs> and so they said that. They said, I, I'm not being fed. And I said, okay. They said, I have to go home after church and watch Charles Stanley on TV. And I said, he's a great preacher. I watch him too. I'm thinking, why don't we just cut this all out and go watch Charles Stanley? <laughs> this is what I've been trying to do for months. Good grief. And, 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 and they said, well, you, you, now I'm just telling you what they said. They said, you just need to preach more hellfire and damnation around here. Really? And, and I said, well, I don't really have any of those. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Anyway, they, as I, I, didn't, I didn't fight. I just said, I, just, I really don't have any of those. And it's just not, you know, I'll talk about judgment. I'll talk about following Jesus. Anyway, so uh, we're going home. And we get home and Becky's making something. And I knew she, Becky from Kansas had finally become a Cajun. You know, late Louisiana, Cajun. Because we're sitting down there and I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm cooking something. And I said, what are you cooking? And she said, rice and gravy. She's a Cajun now. <laughs> they don't eat potatoes and gravy in Louisiana. They eat rice and gravy. And it's pretty good. Anyway, so she said, are you okay? And I said, what do you mean? Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. 
a little bit later. Because there'd been a few harsh things said. And I, I said, I'm fine. And so she, she kept kind of pressing me about it. And I finally said, what, what do you, what's the problem here? She goes, well, Cliff, I, they, there was a couple of harsh things said to you tonight. And people weren't all that kind. What about that? And I said, Beck, I need to explain. I mean, I didn't need to explain it. But I took this dramatic moment to sound profound, you know. Because they don't come very often. You got to take advantage of them when they do. Man, this thing is aggravating me today. Um, and I just, I just said, look, this is my life. Nobody else's. This is my life. And I'm going to do what I believe Jesus has called me to do. If everybody likes it, that's wonderful. I mean, I, I don't like to, I love for people to like me. I'm a people pleaser in some ways. But I'm going to follow Jesus. And if they kick me out, we'll go across the street and start another church somewhere. Stick our tongue out at them. Hey, we got more people. No. <laughs> but I had to quit thinking about, well, what about everybody else? And I'm not saying I don't care about people. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say, I'm simply saying I had to realize it's not my job to make you like me. It's not my job to make you do what I do. It's my job to follow Jesus. And I've got to keep that clear. Or you're going to try to manipulate people. Or you're going to try to make people be a certain way. You need to be focusing on you. I need to be focusing on me. Second thing here. We are finishing, I promise you. This is really exciting to me. I, when I was working through this the other week, I thought, well, there's not much here. And then I got to look at it. Notice here, when Peter turns around, he saw the disciple who Jesus loved. Now I want you to think with me for a second. One of the things we know, this is the way John refers to himself. The gospel, uh, the right guys, guys writing the book. John never names himself, unless there's maybe a list of disciples. But when he's referring to someone or referring to himself, like when he's at the Last Supper, when it says he leaned upon Jesus' breast and said, who is it? It said the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, what does that mean? I mean, does this mean that, 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 that Jesus only loved John? Listen, some people have tried to say, make much of this, that that Jesus is the disciple that Jesus loved. Listen, people have even tried to make something erotic out of this. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. Th this idea that John refers to him like this, I want to suggest you something. There's a reset here. There's a reset button on this one. And what I want to suggest to you is that this is John's understanding of himself. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. I want to dig in here for a minute. Is that how you see yourself? John does not identify himself by his occupation or by his accomplishments or by what he's done. He identifies himself as a disciple that Jesus loves. I want to dig around in your soul for a little bit, in your heart. Because I want to suggest to you that many of us carry within us a sense of, maybe I'm a servant, maybe I'm a follower, but am I really somebody that God loves? Jan Johnson has written a book on the Jesus life, and I recommend it. It's a, it's a really good one. But, but how the, the foundational understanding when Jesus said earlier in John, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. How do you see yourself? When you try to think of who you are, do you identify yourself by what you do? That's what guys do. We get there, hey, so what do you do? You know, that's what guys talk like. I, when I, I go to minister, again, I don't like to go to ministry. I go to ministers, many guys say, so now where are you, Cliff? I say, right in front of you. <laughs> you know what they want? You know what they meant? Where are you, where are you working? Where are you serving? What church are you at? I say, I'm right in front of you, man. Don't, can't you see? I mean, I wanted to shake them and say, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about our life in Jesus. 
What's going on with you? How are you growing? What's happening in your soul? And yet many of us, if we thought about ourselves, we would never write about ourselves, the disciple that Jesus loved. But you say the disciple that Jesus tolerates. The disciple that Jesus is fed up with almost. The disciple that can never get it right. I'm fat, John, this is how John understands himself. You see, this, this notion, this understanding of who am I? Who am I? In my soul, down in my Greek for guts is splankna. So you can say that word. Down in your guts, all of us have a, a, a picture of this in our mind. All of us have an idea of who am I? I I've told you some years ago, but I, I remember years ago I was working on some doctoral work and, and uh, I was in my office and I spilled some water on a piece of paper or something. And instinctively came out of me, you idiot, I said it, you idiot. And the Spirit of God checked me and said, stop that. You're not an idiot. You're my son. Stop that right now. And I mean, I was as clear, I didn't hear a voice, but it was clear as crystal that I think I'm an idiot. Any failure, any problem proves I'm an idiot. Let me give you a statement here. Y'all write this down. What's this? Uh, wholeness. Sometimes in church we use churchy words like holiness. I want to call that wholeness. W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. I'll say it again. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. So the question is, what is the truth of your being? Are you an idiot? Then the way of your being will live that out. If you think you're someone that God can barely tolerate, that's the way you'll live it out. When the way of your being gets matched up with what you think is the truth, that's how you live. So the question is always, what is the truth of your being? Who are you? Who are you? Now, I'm going to diverge here just for a minute because I've been working on this for weeks. So you better get ready for this. <laughs> I mean it. Going to get a drink out of a fire hydrant here in a minute. <clears throat> because my own journey, my own soul, my own life has been this journey to find out who am I? Not what do I do. I mean, I'm a doer by nature. Not what do I do. Not what have I accomplished. Not what have I tried but who am I? John just says, hey, you know, you know who I am? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Oh, he loves the rest of these guys. Yeah, I know that. But I'm, that's how I know myself. Turn your Bibles real quick. Go to the middle of Psalms. You guys are on Friday morning. This is going to get a double dose of this, but Psalm 8. I was meditating on this other day and <clears throat> spending some time. And actually, that next Sunday, the choir, some of you on the choir, sang uh, that great song, What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you give thought to him? They're, they're that great passage of Psalm 8. Where, what is man? That means human beings. That's Adam. It's not a guy. What is man that you're mindful of him? The Hebrew word there means Attentive. Think about that just for a minute. Do you think God is attentive to you? For years in my prayer life, I thought I had to get him to, to be attentive to me. Hey, hey, I'm he, over here. Right? Anybody with me? 
Like he's out there somewhere, but hey, oh, over here, over here, over here, over here. I mean, I know you got big things to take care of, the Middle East and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but hey, I need some help. When he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? You're in his mind. You got his attention. Or the son of man, and that is a Hebraic phrase. It isn't about Jesus. He takes that phrase when he comes to earth to say, I'm a human being, okay? But that original statement is, or the son of man, that you care for him. You care about him. Again, is this the way you see yourself? Somebody who has God's attention. Somebody that God cares. And that last part of that, verse 5, is the one that has always astounded me. Because you've made him a little lower some translations have heavenly beings. I can tell you this. Elohim is the Greek or Hebrew word here. And that word, if you'll trace it through the Psalms, always refers to God. I don't think I'm created a little lower than the angels. I think I'm created a little lower than God. You know why? The angels don't bear his image. I do. The angels aren't in relationship with him. They're servants. I am. See, what is man that you are attentive, you're mindful? I, I'm just telling you that phrase that it has shocked me when it says, what is man, or, or, or what it says here, that, that, that John identifies the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm asking Jesus to make that true for me. I'm asking him to, to help me to have my identity grounded, not in what I do or my accomplishments or my work, but by whom I am loved. How would that change you and me? If we live just today with the awareness in the faith in the certainty that I don't care what you think about yourself. Let me give you an example here. Uh, you may not know what's in you. You're creating the image of God. You know what? I packed this purse. <laughs> it's my man purse. Do you know what's in here? We got an x-ray vision. You know what's in here? Stuff. Well, that's a good one. Nope. Not a book in here. Not a book in here. You know what? I know what's in here. You know, why, why do I know what's in here? Huh? I put it in there. Listen to me. You don't know what's in you. God knows what's in you. Because he put it there. Your view of you can be as wrong as you thinking you know what's in this briefcase. You know why? You didn't put it there. What's in you is what God put in there. And what he put in there is his image. You can not know it. You can disagree with it if you want to, but you don't know because you didn't put it in there. So quit trying to act like you know and accept what God said. I am mindful of you. That idea has rocked my world. Now when I go to prayer, I don't feel like I have to get his attention. I already got it. Now, I don't have to get him to care about me. He already does. Now, I don't have to think of myself less because I'm made just a little lower than God. And so are you. 
And you may fight that and you may disagree with it because you feel bad about yourself or you've been shamed or you've been told it isn't true. I'm just telling you on the authority of God's word, that's who you are and God knows it because he put it in you. Quit trying to figure out what's in you and just listen to what he said I put in you. Does that make sense? I'm going to ask you here on your, we're going to listen. You may think I've lost my ever-loving mind. Oh, boy. I, uh, I know we remember things in music, okay? Can't you remember a song back in the 60s? You can still remember the words. You didn't memorize it in the work, but you remember it. So we're going to take a little journey here for a second. I want to drive this idea into your head who are you? I got approval to do this. song ringing in your head. Who are you? Now, I, you know, I, I don't think necessarily Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey are prophetic. But you know that song. It's an interesting story about Pete, how he wrote that and about waking up and somebody knowing his name and the idea of who are you? That may be the most profound question we have to answer. Becky and I were talking about this other day. Listen, I've done some bad things before that I need to repent of my behavior. But I don't have to repent for who I am. I'm a child of God created in his image. We don't make that good distinction. You see, because we don't know what's in people, all we ever do is evaluate behavior. We look at somebody that's doing something crazy or stupid. How stupid, how dumb. Wait a minute. They are a bearer of the image of God. And I say this is easy. I'm saying because we think we know what's in there. Nothing but behavior. That's all we get after. So who are you? So here's, here's, here's the application. Well, if you took a picture of yourself, that's called a selfie for some of you. That maybe you've never done. Stan, maybe you've never taken a selfie of yourself. I'm going to guess this is the first time. Okay, God bless you. Here we go. Stan's going to take a, here, take a selfie. I want you to look at it each day of this week and say, this is a person loved by Jesus. I've got it in my phone. I'm looking at it every morning. I look at that guy and think, whoa, are you sure? Yeah. yeah. Take a picture of yourself. Start the process of saying, I'm going to believe who am I? Who are you? Okay? I dare you. <laughs> Last thing, we're going to finish. Oh, this is good. This gets better if it'll go forward. Here we go. It's a reset about Jesus. I love what, 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 what uh, John says. This, he says, this is the disciple who testified these things. And he just makes this step. Hey, hey uh, if, if we wrote down everything Jesus did in detail, all the books of the world wouldn't, wouldn't hold it. Now, it's possible that there's a little hyperbole here. You know, you, you think about the, 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 the great Egyptian uh, uh, library at Alexandria had 400,000 scrolls. P- pretty, pretty good library. P- 
a library at Pergamum in the ancient world had 100,000. So I mean, they, were, they had books and things like that. What is John trying to reset? I, I want to suggest something here about a reset with it, with it relates to Jesus. That, that sometimes if we're not careful, Jesus gets captured in our thinking that we've kind of reduced him to the American Jesus. Or, or we've reduced him to the Wesleyan Jesus. You know, Jesus couldn't be a Calvinist, you know, <laughs> right? He's a Wesleyan. Or, or, or we've reduced Jesus to the capitalism Jesus. He only likes capitalism. Or the collective. It, all, all these, I've, just, it, I've told you before, as I'm getting older, Jesus is getting more complicated to me. And bigger. I, it just says, look, if we, if we wrote everything in detail, we couldn't get... I've said this to my students before. Listen, everything in the Bible that you need to know about Jesus is there. But everything about Jesus is not in the Bible. You can't contain it. J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago called Your God is Too Small. I believe what Marty said last week, that we trust the Spirit to lead us and it won't contradict the Bible. But Jesus is bigger than the Bible. Sometimes I'll just sit at home and think, what's it really going to be like when I close my eyes in death and open them and see him? I mean, I know what my Sunday school teacher told me. I know what the flannel graph shows me. I got a feeling it's bigger than that. That the notion or the idea that that Jesus is bigger than, we can't write all the stuff that he did. We, we can't record it all. He's greater. He's mighty. He's more wonderful. I, I'm, that's happening to me. I, I wrote this uh, in my notes when I said, uh, Jesus breaks and conf confounds every category. Think about this. He always has existed. There's never been a time when he is not. He's the person one of the persons of the Trinity. Think about that. Is that just three guys that can sit around a table and talk? Or what is this understanding of the Trinity? This communion of God? Is Jesus getting bigger for you or smaller? Is he getting more predictable or less? For me, I'm just telling you about me. I'm not, not saying you have to. When I stop and think about God now, when I stop and think about Jesus, he astounds me. Listen to what Hebrews said one time, or Hebrews 1 says, he created and upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's defeated all the authorities and powers of the universe. Colossians says he made a public display of them at the cross. He's the one that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father and he will deliver the kingdom of God to his Father. Here's an exercise you might want to do. Not that. I got it somewhere. I think, well, well. See, I was so good with that technique. Weren't, weren't you impressed with those lyrics on that song? Huh? Pretty good, huh? Yeah, pride comes before fall. Oh, good grief. Please be there. Talk among yourselves. Okay, here, I'm going to talk to you about it. <clears throat> I had a picture on that. I don't know what happened to it. You want to you think about how big God is, or Jesus. I look sometimes at the picture of the galaxy Andromeda. That galaxy is the closest one to us, this huge constellation of stars. I had a picture of it, something happened. I look at that and think, okay, number one, that galaxy is 2.5 million light years 
from us. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second. So if you're driving 70 miles an hour, getting 25 gallons to the, miles to the gallon, it's going to take a while. <laughs> right? I, I always think, guys, I'm always thinking of gas mileage. Okay, 75. No. <laughs> it's 2.5 million light years from us. And it's 220,000 light years across. That's just the closest one. You know, my mind is so limited in this regard. I think somewhere there's a sign in the universe. Universe ends in three miles. It's got to. Has to. We've got to be in a box somewhere here. Right? You think about that for a little bit. It, it, it might bring us a sense of humility and a sense of wonder to say, this one that we love and serve is greater than any book could ever tell us. I, 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 I do this. I, I want to think about this. I, John says at the very end, listen, I'm just telling you, as great as all this has been in this book, and all, I wanna, not all the books in the world could contain it. How big is Jesus for us? Our, our little things that we try to do, try to get him to work for us and do things for us. Maybe every once in a while we think, you know what, this, this Jesus, this, this one that we serve is so great. He can blow a galaxy 220 million light years across. And it's just the closest one. Or the light that you're seeing tonight from a star left thousands and thousands. You know, I'm not going to get into this old earth, new earth. I'm just telling you, we know how to measure light that maybe millions of years. It's when it left, traveling at 186,000 miles a second. Our God's got to get bigger in our lives and our understanding. We're going to face some things in the future, I think, that we haven't dreamed of. And whether or not this Jesus is big enough and great enough for us to bow our knee and say, I'll serve you, I'll live for you. Because you are the great God of this universe. And I am loved by you. And if you can love me, then my life can be different. I, 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 I struggled all week. I kept praying to God, how can I talk about you in your greatness? How, how can I, because I'm not just sitting here talking. I, I want to try to communicate in a way that, that, when we, that we leave today, that we have a sense of the, the greatness I'm thinking this. Then my mind gets in a charley horse when I think that this great God became a person. It's like my brain can't, can, it's, I can't keep both of those thoughts in my head at the same time. You know, that's what Plato said, uh, that, that the sign of genius is to keep two, contra or Einstein, they're to keep two contradictory thoughts at the same time in your brain. <laughs> Einstein said that's the, the mark of genius. That's why I can't. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask you to, to do this. Not that. It's on the bottom of your handout, isn't it? I did. Oh, man. Here we go. Once you go out at night, look at the stars and allow God to work in your heart as to his greatness. You know, we go to Kansas sometimes to see Becky's mom at Garden City, which is neither a garden nor a city. You know that. I'll never forget the first time I went out there. They're 25 miles from the closest town. I mean, it's like I was not built for this area. My Wi-Fi's not working. I don't want a newspaper two days old. It comes in the mail. You know, really. 
they love me out there. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I stepped out and could see stars from this horizon to this one. I didn't know that many. I lived in Houston. I thought there were like eight. Like, okay, there's one. You know, all the ambient light in Houston. I thought there were like eight stars in the whole universe. I got to go. I said to Becky, that is unbelievable. I just want to say to you, I think that our technology and living in the city has caused us to forget how big the universe is. And if we live what we say, that we have the privilege of being loved by and serving a God that will blow every category out of your brain that you have and burn every circuit. And yet, to be in the person of Jesus, to say, just follow me, Walt. Galaxies are, yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so I will just tell you, maybe you think less of me. There are times when I lay my head down on my desk and just say, is there a God? Can you help me? Because this is blowing every circuit in my head. I, I don't have a lot of categories. I'm not saying I don't believe in God. I'm saying if this is all true, this is beyond the circuitry I have. And I just bow before him. Would you be willing to do that this week? Look at the stars and bow down. And remember, who are you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we get you so confined and small. Our little world seems so big to us at times, and we know you care about us. We know you, you're not shaming us about our little world, but sometimes we need to see you bigger and greater. Sometimes we have to revisit who are we, and sometimes we have to remember that we're not the boss of everybody. So would you guide us? Thank you for the privilege to be with these people over this time that we've shared in uh, working through John. We pray that some good, some lasting help will be there for all of us. And as we continue to walk together and study together and learn together, may we do so with your spirit guiding. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.